Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets Podcast. Aaron Portsline with you on a rainy Sunday here in Columbus, joined by Allison Lucian. Hello. And Tom Reed. Good morning. Yes. Uh, Blue Jackets with a rousing 6-2 win last night over the Montreal Canadiens. The Blue Jackets climb above the playoff bar after about a, a little more than a week uh, in exile. They are back in the playoff picture, a tiebreaker ahead of the Canadiens, and suddenly a point behind Carolina for the first wild card, um, which, of course, if you're going to be a wild card, would be the preferred position this year, one thinks. Strange you would prefer playing the, stand, the defending Stanley Cup champions uh, over the Tampa Bay Lightning, but that is the way this season has gone. Uh, 6-2 to two was the final last night. A lot of contributions from a lot of different people. Uh, the ones that stood out, and, and I wrote about it um, uh, perhaps ad nauseum uh, today on the Athletic website, was the fourth line, which did not appear to be a fourth line last night. Nick Foligno, Brandon Dubinsky, Riley Nash. Um, I think Nash is technically in the middle, although Dubinsky takes a ton of faceoffs there. That line, uh, you wouldn't expect that line to star, perhaps, against a really quick Montreal team. Uh, but the way that they handled themselves and set the tone for Columbus early in the game sort of brought the rest of the guys back into it, just calmed things down a bit, and then got rewarded for late. Riley Nash with his first goal in 48 games. Brandon Dubinsky with his first goal in 20 games, an empty netter. Uh, and they helped the Blue Jackets pull away to a, a huge win. Made one of the bigger regular season games this franchise has ever played, and they handled themselves quite well. Um, let's go to Allison first. The, that fourth line, uh, we've talked about this for about two and a half years now, how important it is when you are a good team in the playoffs with aspirations to have four lines and a fourth line that's not just a holding tank for guys that don't fit somewhere else. Uh, John Tortorella last night post game said, "We've got ourselves a line there." Um, I, was this was this lightning in a bottle last night for for Dubinsky Nashvillino, or is this something that they can hang their hats on as more than just a, a get us eight minutes a night guys and patch us through to the next to the top three lines? Yeah, I mean, I think that that will proof it out just like any line, right? Because <laughs> you're only as good as your last game. But uh, digging into the numbers last night in terms of what that line did, it, it's really quite remarkable. And to your point, it, support, it supports that they rolled four lines. I mean, the time on ice, for all intents and purposes, was pretty much equal among all four lines. And they really didn't jumble much other than changing Dubois and Duchesne um, in center of those top two lines, but all four lines really had more or less the same amount of time, which is huge for energy management. It's huge for making sure that you can play the next however many games even beyond into the postseason, hopefully. But what was even more impressive that that fourth line did last night that I will be really curious to watch going forward is that the Jackets had six attempts from the dangerous areas last night in five-on-five -five play. That line had five of them. Think that's, about that. That's and further prohibited Montreal from having a single one when they were on the ice. I mean, that in and of itself, like for 15 reasons, that's just remarkable. And 
if this can be a boost to this group, that this is how they play, and if they can continue to be effective, my gosh, what a huge asset for the Jackets. Yeah, and Tom, we were also pleasantly surprised by how that line was able to play last night. Why did it work? What, what was what was the what was the aspect of that line that allowed it to have success? Because it it did look like the first eight minutes, it looked like the Blue Jackets were going to get skated right out of that rink the way that well, they were, you, the Indians were going. Yeah, I mean that's your you make that point. That would have been my exact same point. They're, they they obviously contributed a couple of goals and were good throughout. But I think that their contributions in the first 10 to 12 minutes of that game were the most important of the whole game just because they looked the, – the team as a whole just looked nervous. They just – they looked like they were tentative. They were, as Hitch used to say, wading into the game. I mean, Montreal just – I mean, Montreal's a quick team. Don't get me wrong. They are fast. But they were just going circles around the Blue Jackets to use your old line – uh, they they looked like they were on cough syrup. I yeah. mean, they just but that one, but not that line. That was the line that that every time it got on the ice, it it just kind of gave the other three lines a chance to reset itself. And okay, maybe this time this twirl will be a little bit better. And I can remember typing, and we were talking about this in the press box. I'm like, for better or worse, Brendan Dubinsky is their best forward right now in the yeah. first period. And I thought he continued to be that way for a while until that they really got rolling. And that's that's a uh, a compliment to him. In a in, in Brandon Dubinsky played his best game of the year in their biggest game of the year. Uh, and so that that again, as Allison points out, we'll see what happens going forward. But those guys and and to get obviously to get Felino back, I think we'll mention here that he's our Masterson uh, uh, Trophy candidate. And just with all the all the family stuff he's been through, to to have him come back and play well, that's just a little bit of uh, cherry on the top of that line's work last night. To see him come back these last two games, and especially last night, and have such a dramatic impact. Yeah, difficult seasons for all three of those guys. And to me, that's what a part of what makes it so compelling. Um, we talk about Nash going forever without a goal. I think most people would say that has been a, a, a disappointing free agent acquisition so far. Um, but we've seen how these things go. Sometimes free agents need a year. Sometimes it's the second year where it really starts to gain tra- traction. But maybe he's coming on to something here. I think he's actually played better for the last uh, several weeks. This has not been an easy season for Dubinsky either. Uh, Tortorella has turned him into, at some points, a face-off specialist where he's been on the ice to to win the the draw and then he is immediately taken off the ice which i would think is a a proud veteran player it could be at times difficult uh to handle um and then we we to felino i mean th- this is a guy who boy has he been through it with uh his mother passing away when he was 21 um with his daughter having uh, at least a couple of Open heart surgeries, a scary moment, uh, scary moments there for that family for sure, and a, the continuing dread of of, of those sort of things. Um, and his son Hudson, uh, unbelievable that it all befalls one family that he ends up in the hospital with pneumonia. Uh, I talked mm-hmm. to Nick yesterday, and the uh, Hudson was doing better. Uh, he's starting to clamor to get out of bed and run around like a typical twenty-two month old. So, uh, you know, that's, um, that, that's a good sign. I'm no medical expert, but that's a good sign. 
Um, and and as we mentioned, uh, as Tom mentioned, uh, Felino is the the local chapter of the PHWA's um, Masterton nominee, uh, which is you know that's uh, not a not a small deal. That's the the award for uh, perseverance, sportsmanship, dedication to hockey. Dot dot dot. I just I get the sense through all of this that Nick Felino is going to go down as one of the more, maybe the most beloved athlete in Columbus uh, in some time, if not, if not ever. Uh, thoughts on this, Allison? Yeah, I mean, it's it re- when you really sit and think about the burdens that he's had to, to work through and then perform where you're, <laughs> where you're asked to be at the very height of your abilities on a very public stage, it's just... I can't even I can't even translate what that must be like, what that stress must be like. And he always does it with composure, um, with eloquence. Um, and and again, to the to what we just discussed about that line last night, to to results. <laughs> and this is a guy. I mean, I still remember, and I'm sure you guys do too, that All Star Game year when he really kind of became the ambassador for Columbus, yeah, right? And true. I think that that was kind of his coming out party. And to his credit, he has only latched on to that. Um, Particularly because even as some really beloved players are choosing to finish their careers elsewhere, Felino's going to be, Felino's, Felino might be falling into the Rick Nash category in terms of belovedness by this fan base. Yeah. And maybe that, Maybe the player team relationship, one would hope, would end, end differently there. He's uh, yes, playing, yes. playing in a much, a much different era, of course, where yes. success is not just a pipe dream. Tom, your your thoughts on Mr. Nick Felino and and uh, what he represents, what he stands for? Yeah, it's. I mean, I think Allison, you guys have both have summed it up very well. You know, I, obviously we we always joke on the on the show and and stuff like that. That you know, I'm a Ranger fan. But it's, there's easy. There's guys you can cheer for too. There's there's individuals you can cheer for, and Nick fully knows one of those people because man, oh man, I, I told him this the other day. You're like you are like you deserve about two years of just great good luck every time winning the scratch offs. I mean, I've I've never I, I'm not and I'm not a parent. I can't imagine. I can't imagine this, the the scenario that you just laid out a couple of minutes ago, Aaron. With having to having to twice come back in the same season uh, from very scary emergency medical emergencies with two different kids, and all be the captain of the team and incorporate all this stuff, and yet, you know, we did a story a couple weeks ago, and you know, he's the guy that that has all the all the new guys come to his house. His wife Janelle is the one who's calling everyone's wives to make sure and girlfriends to make sure they're getting in. I mean, they got so much on their plate beyond just the hockey part of it. And yet they're doing what they can to, to, to pull this team even tighter uh, down the stretch. I, I, you know, I just I'm totally applaud him for what he's been able to, what he's been able to deal with. Uh, you talk about so much on the plate in one season. I mean, he's that the, that's pretty special. And if I may, real quickly, I would like to build on something Tom said there. Someone who probably doesn't get as much attention, and this is not to take away from Nick, but my gosh, Janelle Felino, what 
Oh, what a rock of a human. Um, the, the ask of these parents who care for, in Janelle's case, three children, three small children when their husband's jobs, and this happens in many industries, takes them on the road or away from the family for significant periods of time. But to, to do what she is asked to do, I mean, she wasn't asked to be captain. <laughs> she wasn't asked to be the captain's wife, but she is. She does what Tom said. And the remarkable strength of any mother in this situation, and particularly Janelle, I think deserves deserves attention and credit as well. Yeah, well, she's the captain's captain. Indeed. And the other thing, too, and Nick has brought this up to his credit, too, is when he comes to the rink, he I'm sure it's always hanging in the background, but he gets to be with his boys. Right. Yeah. I bet on the I bet when he's on the ice, he is you. You have to put all of that stuff aside. You have to focus on the task at hand as as challenging as playing an NHL game must be. It still is a bit of a, an oasis during a really difficult time. And when you're going through something like that, you just you want your kid to be better. You also want to be able to just get away from it for an hour. Right. And you can't. Um, maybe he's able to do that a little bit at the rink. He's mentioned this too. Uh, his his dear wife doesn't have the opportunity to just say, "I'm going to go have wine with my buddies <laughs> for three hours." Right. You got this, right? Like that is that would be the most impressive part to me, but. Uh, so good luck to Nick and the Masters. And this is the third time he has been nominated. And in classic Felino style, yesterday when that was mentioned, he said, I don't think I'd rather win the Art Ross, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyways. Um, we should get to this. The the Athletic is having a meetup here in Columbus. High Banks Distillery. April 3rd, 6.30 p.m. Now, when I say April 3rd, let me put it uh, easier that way. That is Wednesday, Wednesday, as in next Wednesday. Uh, so 630. Uh, Allison, what do we have information wise about people in the need to register or what have you? Yeah, we're still we're going to try and get a registration page up. We're not sure, but um, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter if you're going to be coming out just so we can get an idea of how many folks will be there. Um, but please come out. We're going to have. Time to just gather and socialize, but also Q&A. All three of us will be there. Our other um, writers and editors from The Athletic Cleveland are going to come and join us as well. Um, and these are heady times, <laughs> particularly for the Blue Jackets. So um, we would really love to see everyone. And um, I'm a huge fan of High Bank Distillery. Um, if you haven't had their donuts, you must have their donuts. Donuts. Um, donuts. They're fantastic. Uh, but it, I think it's going to be a really good time. I think it's going to be a nice time to get together before the final two regular season games and talk about what's next. Um, so hopefully we'll see everyone there. Uh, can you pair a donut with a bourbon? You can. I have done it and you can. Wow. Wow. That's now I'm intrigued. <laughs> um, Blue Jackets at Nashville on Saturday. Blue Jackets at Buffalo on Sunday. There are $7 tickets available in Buffalo. Ooh. How sad is that? Uh, and then the Blue Jackets wrap, wrap up. Final home game Tuesday, April 2nd. Uh, then our shindig the following night. And then the Blue Jackets go back on the road for, for two to finish it at New York, at Ottawa. Uh, we should mention that last night, uh, being the, the last home game that Fox Sports Ohio will uh, broadcast, was a, a farewell of sorts for Bill Davidge, who... 
after it seems like it's been forever because he is such a he's such a large part of the organization bill davidge is um he is going to retire at the end of this season now forgive me for thinking out loud here they can they do first round playoff games correct correct so he could still be doing some playoff games correct it's it's second round and on and unless nbc takes games but uh it's second round and on that will not be fox sports ohio correct so they're Okay, so uh, perhaps his last game, and uh, Bill Davidge. I mean, you talk about a you talk about perseverance. He has been with the Blue Jackets, a scout, uh, radio analyst, TV color guy, and studio host. He has done worn many hats. We talk about John Davidson wearing many hats. Bill Davidge has been a, co- a player, a coach, a scout, a broadcaster for two different mediums. Uh, he literally drove the Zamboni at Miami University for a couple. <laughs> True story. Um, he is, I, I think he, for Blue Jackets fans, he is everyone's favorite uncle, if that's a way to say it. George Matthews called him Mr. Blue Jacket, which I think is a very nice way to say it. He has been here from day one, uh, and I don't know that it's going to feel the same without uh, Dapper Davidge around. Who wants to take that one first? Yeah, I th- I, the only thing I'd add, I think you, you said it perfectly, Aaron. The only thing I'd add is, you know, we get to see Bill off air, uh, you know, during practice days and when he's in the room. And some of you may have seen the, the little video that Fox had uh, Cam Atkinson and Nick Felino speak to Bill last night. And these players love him. I mean, the relationship he has with a lot of these guys, the energy he brings to the room, um, he is just, he is a blue jacket. I think that's what Nick Felino said. And he's also a Buckeye. So, you know, this is a, a great time for him to see his Buckeye program getting strong, to see these blue jackets pushing like they are. And just the fan base has grown so much, which is awesome that maybe some don't understand how much of a part of all this Billy has been for so long. Um, but ask your friends, listen to the stories that are going around on social media and from the players. And um, this guy deserves every accolade and more. Yeah, for me, like I, we used to jokingly call he and, and George Matthews Bert and Ernie because <laughs> they were so uh, inseparable the first 10 years of the franchise, but also they lived together. Um, I just pictured them with little twin beds with like, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? With like uh, pillows, one that said B and one that said D on the bed. Um, but that that for me is the fondest um, time for me and, and Davidge was his radio work with uh, George Matthews because those two those two were almost cult heroes uh, around here the first 10 years of the franchise we always used to joke with George you, you don't always know where the puck is but man is this fun when those two would get going because it was like your two crazy uncles from Canada uh, waxing poetic um, with the backdrop of a game Tom your thoughts on on uncle everyone's favorite uncle Bill Davidge yeah I, I think I, I went down last night and uh Watched him and, and they, he had like a receiving line. It was it was it was like when you get married, and uh, people come up and you're standing there and everyone all of that. Thanks, it's great to see you. And 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 Brian Giesenslaw, who is his has been his partner here at, uh, over at the uh, in the studio desk for years, yells over to me, Tom. This isn't because he's retiring. This is every night. Hmm. This is, goes on every night. I think that when you think of Billy. Um, 
you don't think of him as a telestrator, and you maybe not think of him as a, a wordsmith uh, on his telecast. You think of Billy as someone who cares, who cares like we do. And I don't mean you, I, and Allison, like as a fan. Like right. when they see Billy Davidge, they see he's one of us. He is one of us. He's lived life experiences like us away from hockey, and he just passionately cares about what we care about. And he always has a smile on his face. And you used the word ambassador earlier about Nick Foligno as a player. Well, this guy is an ambassador. I think that his title will continue uh, with him as an ambassador uh, for hockey. And again, not just Blue Jacket hockey, but hockey in general. And so, uh, yeah, tremendous career. And he, look, we're not getting rid of him. He's going to be, you, you're not, you don't get rid of Bill Davidge. He's going to be around. Fans are still going to see him. He's going to be around the building. He's, you know, he's going to be out and doing anytime the Blue Jackets need someone going out to do a public function, you know, Billy's going to be around. So that's the, that's, that's, that's the fun part of it, knowing he's still going to be around. Yeah, and if you ever need to talk to him, you, 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 you can find him making the turn of Pinnacle. There you go. <laughs> I mean, we know that's going to be a part of it. Um, I love. He said he's going to move up to the green tees, and he's, there's a couple of par, there's a couple of par fours he's looking forward to driving. So, yeah. um, of course he is. Uh, Blue Jackets with a big six-two win over Montreal. Uh, that sure felt like a, a statement win. It feels like their game is starting to, to come around. We touched on this a little bit post game uh, last night. There are a couple of guys that are a few guys that are really sort of lifting from underneath here that where it's it Duchesne makes an unbelievable play to Panarin for a great goal. Uh, and they've had some contributions now from their top guys. Cam Atkinson seems, seems to be the last part of that first line to really come on to things. But um, I, I think what Oliver Bjorkstrand has done here the last few weeks, last few months, really um, bears some mention. He has been a difference maker among others. Allison. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that, uh, I'm going to have something on this for tomorrow on just some of the maybe less likely folks um, that we would expect in terms of you always think of the top line, the new the trade deadline acquisitions, the guys who have really made a difference. Um, and Bjorkstrand is, is right at the top of this list. Even going into last night, he's shooting more. He's getting to the dangerous areas more. He's averaging uh, almost three more scoring chances per 60 minutes of play since the trade deadline. Like, that's ridiculous. It is. Um, so just just some some really important stepping up beyond the names we always talk about. And, and Bjorkstrand leads that pack for me. Yeah. Uh, and I just think this is important because I, I think it's a, especially for a nice young chap like Bjorkstrand, I think it's sort of, it's a big hurdle along the way. The first one is just to get to the NHL. Right. And when you do that, you're like, well, I'm Oliver Bjorkstrand, and this is where I belong. They've got these guys, these guys, this is what I do. And what every team needs is for you to not be content with what you do. It's to push and to push guys out of the top six. They need Oliver Bjorkstrand to upset the apple cart. I mean, and we've looked around the league. You can see what all the great teams have this, this constant push of talent. And I think part of that was – part of that this year was him – no longer accepting just being um, Mr. Third-Tier Scorer. Mr. Say, oh, look, he has 40 points. No, he needs to be the, the difference maker. And, my God, does he throw his body 
around. I, I've been referring to him as Mr. Bill because he takes <laughs> he every night he takes some unimaginable uh, just gets buried in the corner and somehow gets right back up and gets going. Tom, your thoughts on on Brookstra, who's been this guy who's going to be for a few years. Maybe he's finally here. Yeah, he was Jim, and we've addressed this a couple times, and he was joking about it last night. It's like, i got to figure out a way to start playing this way in October, not in uh, February and March. Uh, absolutely bang on. You just He's more noticeable in games now, not just when he has the puck, but pursuing the puck, getting into scrums. And you don't have to, again, yeah, I, I know you used the example of him getting uh, hit and him yeah, he's getting – you don't have to necessarily – be really the physical guy, but you need to be in there in the scrums trying to get the puck. Use what what tools you have, and it, it is so funny when when coaches talk about that stuff. It does lead to you being more involved in the offense. I don't know why that is. Maybe Allison can do an analytical study on that. But when when you when you're really trying, when there's a lot of effort involved, you just naturally seem to get more involved in the play. Once the puck seems to then find you. And and we all know what he can do once he has a sliver of open space uh, within the puck on his stick. He's got that great shot, one, maybe one of the best shots on the team. And I don't mean like a Alex Ovechkin shot or a Panarin one-timer, but just that ability to make the goalie miss. And it, the, But he has been such a more noticeable player in the last month and a half to two months of the season. Uh, just all over the ice, and that's if he continues to play that way, he's going to push for what you're talking about. Allison, does it ruin your story if you say who the other guys are that are on that are on the climb here? <laughs> Not at all. Um, of course, um, I'd be remiss if Josh Anderson isn't on that list. We've talked about him so much. Um, Marcus Nudavara and David Savard, I think, have really come on, and we're going to be digging into why because as a defenseman. It's not about the points, even though David Savard has three goals, I think it is, since the deadline. Oh, but, my goodness. But uh, it's really impressive what those two are doing. And and honestly, after last night, you know, I, you want to be careful in things like this because it's only 16 games now since the deadline, which is such a small sample size in and of itself. And, and Dean Kukan only has a, has a small handful within that. Um, but he's really starting to come on, too. Um, See it. And, and I would point everyone, if they haven't already, as we already talked about, to read again your piece on the fourth line because they're, they're a huge part of this too. And again, these are names that when, when the deadline hit or even when talking about this team and what they wanted to do this season, these were not the first names that came to mind, right? And now they are stepping up. It's, it's, it's pretty cool when you look at what it is they're actually doing um, to impact not just their individual play but the team's play on the ice. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Kukan and Nudavar and those guys. I thought Kukan's been really good. Um, the Blue Jackets had quite a scare on Tuesday with Wierenski where he missed the final uh, six minutes of that game against the Islanders with a, what appeared to be a leg injury. He was back skating yesterday, played almost almost 27 minutes last night. Uh, and of one course of the he did. Almost one of the reasons for that is that the Blue Jackets had five defensemen for most of the game, or, yeah, the majority right. of the game. Adam McQuaid uh, took a forearm slash elbow to the side of his head, maybe the jaw, uh, from Andrew Shaw um, on the while on the penalty kill. Uh, only an interference penalty to Shaw. Um, uh, you know, according to Eric Engels um, in in uh, Montreal, 
that's where it will end. No supplemental discipline. I've not been able to confirm that yet, but, but uh, Eric's usually bang on. So it looks like Shaw gets away with one there. But, you know, McQuaid, let's wrap up with this. McQuaid has, has been, I think, got off to kind of a slow start when he first got here, trying to figure out how things are gone are done here but boy he's he has been exactly what they wanted and needed uh these last couple weeks big physical guy um he he sure looked like he was concussed the way that they were looking at him last night uh you hope that he's he's best but but uh mcquade has been quite uh, an impactful player for them eh, tom he has he's he's been he's certainly been better and it's just it is the kind of hit i i don't know what sometimes I have no idea what the NHL is looking at. You know, the, the, the holds the, the the cliche of the wheel of justice. They spin it. You have no idea where it's going to land. I mean, that play is again the set it up a little better. There was a power play. The the the, the, um, the Canadians were on the power play, and uh, so Andrew Shaw is coming up, and we've seen this type of movement before by players. I always think of the Red Wings where it's a pick play, right? I mean, teams run pick plays, let's be honest. And sometimes they get away with it, and sometimes they don't. But Shaw decides he's going to, as you mentioned, either forearm or elbow or whatever it is, right up into McQuaid's head. McQuaid had no chance. And and I find it odd that they say incidental contact because McQuaid wasn't going anywhere. He was literally standing there, (laughs) and he gets hit from the side, and it, this this all runs during a week that the athletic uh, is done an extremely fantastic job. And Aaron's contribution is today and a look at con- on concussions and the NHL protocol and examining just every aspect of, of concussions in the NHL. And this is a play that, to me, it, it's it's not it, just, it has no part in the game. It has no part in the game. It wasn't a bang bang play. It wasn't McQuaid lowering his head at the last second him turning away or anything like that he's he's a stationary target yeah that that's the part that was i mean if they run into each other they run into each other the fact that the one guy who's heading toward the guy who's who's standing and is not seeing the other guy coming ends up putting a forearm in his head is like well that didn't need to happen and nick felino didn't nick felino tell you he plays the same position on the power play and those type of plays. Explain that to our listeners. Well, yeah. I told you last night. Yeah, and I'll find the quote here, but he said, uh, you know, that the spot that Shaw plays on the power play for Montreal is the exact spot that Felino has played uh, before. And his, um, his, his point was when you're there, when you're in that spot, uh, you are part of the part of that job is knowing what's all around you. He said, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt um, let's see. Yeah. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I don't know if he's that type of player. I don't think he is. All I know is I've played that position of the power play and you know where the guys are. In other words, that that's part of your responsibility is, is viewing all that. So the, the suggestion that, that Shaw just ran into McQuaid without knowing that where he would there, I, I'm not sure holds water, not just because of what Polino said, but just because of the direction he's going and what he's looking at. But anyways, Allison, any thoughts on that? I, I mean, the only thing I'll add is I said this last night is I have no time for a hit like this in terms of the long-term health of these players. And the league needs to be better. I, I mean, it's 
there were a million ways that hit could have been considered not dangerous if Shaw does something different. And, and that, I don't care if the Jackets lose that game 9-1. to one. There's no time for that kind of hit in this game. Yeah, yeah. Tough stuff. So we'll, no practice today for the Blue Jackets. This is Friday. Uh, we'll get an update. For from, point of reference. Yes, exactly. We'll get an update in Nashville on Saturday, um, perhaps as, as to where McQuaid is, or perhaps not. Perhaps they haven't had a chance to talk to the trainers. Mm. <laughs> um, so Blue Jackets at Nashville, big win Thursday night. Five games remaining for the Blue Jackets to stake their claim to a playoff spot. What else do we need to get to, if anything, Tom? I think we've covered it. This is a this was a this is a Springsteen esque one. If, I don't know how many minutes it's going, but it's, it seems like uh, we need a Zamboni to come back out if we're going to continue. The ice is getting a little rough. This segment should be called "In Memory of Elizabeth Reed." Uh, Allison, anything? Uh, just a reminder that the Buckeyes start their NCAA tournament hopes this evening, Friday at 4 p.m. Game is on ESPNU. Nice. Nice. All right, so thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for reading. Uh, we will talk to you again next Tuesday. Tuesday. And until then, thanks for sticking with us. We will talk to all of you soon. 